as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness, the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for... <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday 8 to 10 down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> Watch if you want to, you can slap Spiegelman's behind. L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny. Mutiny! It's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! No, it's, it's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! Oh, my turn-offs are guys who say mutiny. Mutiny? Well, let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman, Mike Spiegelman, Mike Spiegelman, Mike Everybody's talking at me I don't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping, staring I can't see the faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going where the sun keeps 
The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. I mean every word of it. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi Goddamn. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. pressure much longer somebody say a prayer alabama's got me so upset tennessee made me lose my rest and everybody knows about mississippi goddamn this is a show tune but the show hasn't been written for it yet dogs on my trail school children sitting in jail black cat cross my path I think every day is gonna be my last Lord have mercy on this land of mine we all gonna get it in due time I don't belong here I don't belong there I've even stopped believing in don't tell me, I'll tell you Me and my people just about do I've been there so I know Keep on saying, go slow But that's just the trouble Washing the windows You thought I was kidding, didn't you? Picket lines, school boycotts, they try to say it's a communist plot. All I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. Yes, you lied to me all these years. You told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady. And you'd stop calling me Sister Sadie. Oh, but this whole country is full of lies. You all gonna die and die like flies. I don't trust you anymore. You keep on saying, go Trouble, desegregation, mass 
note we begin the show this is labor and love radio every saturday morning at this time we come at you we talk to you we try to inspire some of that energy the point of this show is to take energy from the past and the present and apply it into the future I'm the B. My name is Bill Morgan. Member of two labor unions. We tell you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. That set featured Miss Nina, Ms. Nina Simone, who remarks in the middle of her song, you think I'm kidding, huh? Nina Simone was often very upset, very angry at the way her people were being treated and the way white audiences clapped when she sang about it, but the treatment went on. Well, that's Santana, Everything's Everything, and a beautiful guitar solo by Santana. You can hear the jazz influence there. Um, and before that, Fred Neal with Everybody's Talking from the movie Midnight Cowboy. Fred Neal was... Uh, from Florida, lived in Florida and couldn't really stand the uh, pressures of of uh, being famous, I suppose. Um, that song was a massive hit. And all right, let's see. Fred Neal, everybody's talking. We don't want everybody's talking. Fred Neal. He 
He was born in Cleveland, Ohio, just a couple weeks after his parents married. Um, They moved to St. Louis in 1942. Uh, Parents divorced in 1949, and his father returned to Cleveland. 1955, um, Fred Morlock married Lalani Lee Michaels, a Fran Malone dancer in San Francisco, photographer's model, and a later beauty pageant queen and Geary girl. He lived with his mother in St. Petersburg. And, uh, had a son named Kenny. His wife worked at a gray advertising agency until her pregnancy compelled her to quit her job. She started working as a secretary at a music publishing company while Fred Neal made records. Uh, Finally, she had to quit. They separated in 1960. In 1965, she married Tony Orlando, Fred Neal's former wife. Um, became one of the singer-songwriters who worked out of New York's Brill Building, a center for music industry offices and professional songwriters. Um, He wrote songs that were recorded by early rock and roll artists such as Buddy Holly, Come Back Baby, and Candyman by Roy Orbison. He was a folk singer in New York and uh, Dino worked with Dino Valenti, later from Dino, Desi, and Billy. Um, lived in Woodstock, New York for a while. Um, anyway, many of Neil's 1970s recordings were released unissued. He uh, developed squamous cell carcinoma for which he received radiation treatment and surgery. Died July July 7th, 2001. His song, Everybody's Talking, which we just played, was featured in the film Midnight Cowboy. So, Fred Neal. Kind of a lonely voice there. Deep. Baritone. Kind of a lonely, lonely feeling about him. Uh, want to read first off some of the credos of this show, and we have George Sand, 
Humanity is outraged in me and with me. We must not dissimulate nor try to forget this indignation, which is one of the most passionate forms of love. George Sand. Pity the Nation by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero, and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pardon me. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away, my country, tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty. Pity the nation. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who uh, we lost just last year. So you're not into politics. Then you're at a party now. And you're talking about some issue, some political issue, which could be anything, because politics is not a a body of knowledge or a body of facts. Politics is the underlying structure beneath the history of the country or a people. Politics is how things move or don't move. So you're just not that into politics. Well, your boss is. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. I'd say it's time to get into politics. (laughs) Wouldn't you... Here's a good one, because as always, the issue of immigration and immigrant workers is in center stage in the United States. It's a political football. During times when there's a lot of work and we need people to come and do farm work and put food on our tables, We bring them in. We figure out ways for them to come in. When jobs are scarce and times are tough, we blame them for our problems. Can I tell you a secret? Jesse Memmer says, I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people, 
trying to live a better life. This whole wall deport the illegals bullshit is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that we're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they're all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains. Existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Thank you. Jesse Nimmer. Now here's, here's the contradiction that women live in our country in this madness about controlling women's bodies. When the penalty for rape, for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. So a woman gets raped. Right? Happens all the time, doesn't it? In this country. All over the world. Woman gets raped, gets pregnant, doesn't want the baby. Who would? No, no, there's a law. She's not in control of her own body. She can't, if she goes ahead and gets that abortion, she could serve more time in jail than the rapist. <laughs> if the rapist is ever brought to justice at all. Very rare type thing, huh? A war on women. These are all things that we need to think about. Here's Utah Phillips. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns in the Northeast. Why? Because we organize. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. They were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories. Damn it, no root, no fruit. That from Utah Phillips, who commented once that the most revolutionary thing is a long memory reminding kids of where these rights, quote-unquote, came from. The weekend, OSHA, child labor laws, unemployment insurance. Those came about by pressure from below. The rich and the privileged did not sit down one day and say, oh, hey, People should have this or people should have that because it's a hard time. No. They had to get scared. They had to get concerned and realize that 
they had better pass it or else. A reminder that the richest 1% own half the stock market. This is Robert Reich, and the richest 10% own almost all of it. So when Trump brags about the stock market, he's not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. The Dow Jones went up today. Who cares? One-tenth of all the people own nine-tenths of the stock market. I mean, do we care? I guess. Some people do, huh? Okay, so on Labor and Love Radio, those are our credos. Those are all brought to you by the 250 working people who will die of job-related causes today in the United States and the more than 3,000 workers from all over the world who will die today from job-related causes. It's unclear how many billionaires and millionaires will die of job-related causes. It's unclear how many millionaires and billionaires will die because they don't have quality health plans. At any rate, this is the B. And let's play some music. Here's a song by Pink. La da 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 Dear Mr. President come take a walk with me Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions if we can speak honestly. What do you feel when you see all the homeless on the street? Who do you pray for at night before you go to sleep? What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Are you proud? How do you sleep while the rest of us cry? How do you dream when a mother has no chance to say goodbye? Dear Mr. President, were you a lonely boy? 
President, you'd never take a walk with me. Naciste un día cualquiera en un lugar Donde un árbol y una nube siempre están Y se conocen Y así confrontan su soledad Siendo niña tu juguete llegó a ser Trascender tu horizonte y conocer Mi adolescente Tu adolescencia nunca fue 
ver tu árbol de florido y bajo tu nube andar en ver tu árbol de florido y bajo tu nube andar en que se ahogó te equivocaste para elegir no tuviste dos entre lo que deseaste y lo que Entre el sol y la noche que no es, cinco mentiras trajiste al mundo a preguntar. Cerca de tu árbol florido, bajo tu nube de andar. Cerca de tu árbol florido, bajo tu nube de andar. Welcome to the. That was Pablo Milanes. I have a little more about him in a minute. She came from Greece. She had the thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I. 
That was uh, Common People by Pulp. <clears throat> Let's read a few lines from there. 
She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. And then she starts saying she wants to live like common people. <sighs> and he points out to her that common people are not happy. The only You're the only one in this whole store that's smiling when they go to a grocery store. Okay, before that, we played a song by Pablo Milanes, a Cuban singer. Um, although he supported the Cuban Revolution, he was sent to a forced labor camp in Camagüey. Camagüey, 1967. Went to Havana and was put in a forced labor camp. He was released when the prison camp was closed due to international pressure. He became part of Grupo Experimentación Sonora, a seminal group of young musicians. Founders, some of them were founders of the Nueva Trova, uh, which corresponds roughly to the Nueva Canción or in English, we might say folk rock. I'm not sure. Combines uh, sincerity, honesty of lyrics with political point of view. Um, Pablo Milanes is widely considered one of the closest to the traditional roots of Cuban music. Um... He's lived in Spain since 2004. Would have died except that his wife donated a kidney and he received a kidney transplant. He's been public critical of some aspects of the Cuban government, although he remains dedicated to the Cuban revolution. His willingness to speak openly about the failures of the revolution strained his relations with Silvia Rodriguez. Lately, he has not participated in pro-government activities. And before that went Pink. Dear Mr. President, and Pink was recently in the news because... She had put up a lot of money to help. Let's, let's see what we have on pink. She's born September eighth, nineteen seventy nine. And uh, active politically, as you can tell from that song, Dear Mr. President, Pink announced in 19, uh, April 4th, 1920, 
18, 2020, pardon me, Pink announced that she and her three-year-old son showed symptoms of COVID-19, and she subsequently tested positive, but fully recovered. She also announced donations of $500,000 each to the Temple University Hospital Fund in Philadelphia, where her mother worked for nearly two decades, and the city of Los Angeles Mayor's Emergency COVID-19 Crisis Fund. So, that was that set. Um, I want to take some time now to celebrate someone from the past, a woman named Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, an activist named Ellen Gavin, uh, here talks about Elizabeth I'm going to talk Gurley about Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. She was this gorgeous, precocious, Irish, working-class girl. She left high school at 15, with an A student, and became an IWW organizer. By 20, 21 years old, she was uh, involved in some of the major labor struggles of the century. When the miners were striking in Minnesota, she was there. When the silk workers were striking in Patterson, she was there. Her life kind of crossed with my life in that at 21 years old, she um, came to my hometown of Lawrence, Massachusetts, and she led one of the most successful labor strikes in U.S. history. It's called the Bread and Roses Strike. Here's a photo of her with the organizers in Lawrence. That's her great love. And this is Big Bill Hayward, who is the founder of the International Workers of the World. These guys didn't quite get it until she showed them. She came to town with an idea that the way that you're going to win this was to organize the women, free women from child care and laundry and cooking which she did by collectivizing the kitchens and the laundry and making everyone participate, including men. There were 56 languages spoken on the strike committee. Everybody would sing, which is really what united people, you know, across, across languages. She got the women organized to close down all the bars. They literally took wood and boarded up all the bar rooms. She came up with a brilliant strategy, which was to send the children away to families in New York. They were filled with rickets and tuberculosis, and they had, you know, lice, and they were malnourished. These were people that had been working at, kids that had been working in the mills. Madison Square Garden had a huge benefit, so all that pressure won that strike. They won the right to organize the trades as a group rather than independently and pit them against each other. My grandmother was a child laborer. She made $2.98 a week after 54 hours of work a week. But actually, her conditions were slightly improved because the year before, as she entered, Elizabeth Early Flynn had won this battle. And she fell in love at the time with her Italian anarchist lover, Carlos Tresca, and they had a very tumultuous 13 years together. But she always put the work first. So, for example, he got out of jail and wanted to know why she wouldn't spend time with him. And she said, because there's other people in jail. And she went right back to the Defense Committee offices and said, sorry, but... That's the priority. She always wanted to be a constitutional lawyer, but she never even graduated high school. So she defended herself in numerous cases um, throughout her life. And she formed defense committees for many famous and not so famous uh, folks. Sacco and Vanzetti, Edder and Giovanetti, Joe Hill's defense, her cases went to the Supreme Court. She was a founding member of the ACLU, only about 25 years later to be thrown out of the ACLU. <laughs> because she was a member of the Communist Party at one point. She was the first female chair of the Communist Party. She understood also very young how important it was 
um, how African Americans were being treated, how immigrants were being treated. She was involved in the anti-World War I activity, which got her arrested and put in jail the first time. The Palmer Raids, which arrested immigrants who were supposed to be communists and then sent them off to jail. The Smith Act, which basically said that anyone who was subverting the government by talking about a revolution, she was arrested for that. <laughs> The McCarthy hearings, she was put in jail for two years. She understood that in this time when there was no media, except printed media and the voice, that um, she needed to be able to put down a box, stand on a corner, or stand in front of 20,000 people, which she did routinely, and speak her piece, was her phrase. And men listened to her too. You see these pictures of her speaking in front of 50,000 people, it's mostly men. She would go on a tour and she would give 35 speeches in a week. She wrote three columns a week for 25 years. She wrote an average of six letters a day. Here's a woman of great uh, depth, um, education, self-taught, beauty, uh, power, but spent a life uh, giving back to people who had less than she did. And my favorite quote of hers is when she said, um, I'm very proud of the life that I've lived, but very humbled in the living of it. And that just, you know, touched me. Okay, so that was Ellen Gavin talking about <clears throat> Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, one of the stalwarts of labor history, of the labor movement that brought us so much. I didn't know about the McCarthy era. Um, that she had been jailed during the McCarthy hearings. Let's see. Um, she was briefly a member of the Communist Party. Um, I guess we can't see anything right now about the McCarthy hearings. Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, a big noise. A big noise in the labor movement. Okay, let's see. Wanted to do something with farm workers, but we're going to do that later on. Here's something um, our labor history in two minutes. And we'll start with. Sanitation workers strike Charlotte. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1969. That was the day AFSCME sanitation workers in Charlotte, North Carolina, walked off the job. More than 85% of the sanitation workers were black in this predominantly white southern city. It was their third garbage strike in a year. State statutes prohibited union contracts in municipal agencies. But AFSCME was determined to win union recognition and establish an agreement with the city. Southern director for AFSCME, James Pierce, thundered, quote, We'll bring in whatever help we can get if the city tries to break the strike. We can turn this place into a Memphis or a Charleston in a few days. 
Of course, Pierce was referring to the two victorious strikes by black workers that had rocked the South within the past year. Black sanitation workers in Memphis walked out in a historic strike in the spring of 1968. Hospital workers in Charleston, South Carolina had just won their strike days earlier. Pierce outlined the issues at stake. According to the Asheville Citizen Times, the Charlotte City Council had adopted its final budget without providing dues checkoff, without adhering to established grievance procedures or seniority rights, and without adding important safety precautions for garbage collection. At first, Charlotte's mayor asserted claims that the strike was about dues checkoff, but Pierce shot back about broken promises regarding the establishment of safety committees and non-discrimination enforcement. By the end of the month, a tentative agreement agreement was in place. Strikers won all demands except dues checkoff. But as hospital workers soon found out in Charleston, South Carolina, the city council refused to carry out its agreement with the union. Sanitation workers in Charlotte would strike twice unsuccessfully over the next year and a half. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1866. That was the day known as the Mechanics Institute Massacre. Black and white Republicans in New Orleans called a constitutional convention to consider voting rights for African Americans. It would be another three and a half years before the ratification of the 15th Amendment. Freedmen, many of them Civil War veterans, gathered at the Fallberg Marnie and proceeded to march to the convention held at the Mechanics Institute on Canal Street. Just before they reached the Institute, black Republicans were confronted by a mob of white Democrats, ex-Confederate soldiers and police, determined to prevent blacks from attaining any semblance of civil or political rights. The delegates were able to momentarily beat back the mob and reach the Mechanics Institute. But the racist mob charged again and started shooting. By the time it was over, at least 50 mostly black Republicans were shot dead in the street. More than 200 were seriously injured. Historian Justin Nystrom notes that it was an absolute massacre. But he adds, it was actually very useful to the Republican Party because it gave them a concrete example of the kinds of problems former Confederates were causing in the South. He adds that events such as these helped influence voters to bring more radical Republicans into Congress. These politicians would be key to passing the Reconstruction Acts. Nystrom points to a poem written by Camille Naudin to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the massacre. Titled Ode to the Martyrs, the poem mourns the massacred while bitterly observing that Jefferson Davis remained alive. But for the mulattoes, blacks and whites, this fact I must tell, she writes, Victor LaCroix is dead, Jeff Davis lives still. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1939. That was the day striking auto workers in Cleveland, Ohio, defended their picket lines in what is known as the Battle of East 140th Street. Members of UAW Local 45 at GM's Fisher Body Plant had been on strike for three weeks. They had joined striking GM workers at 12 plants throughout Michigan. They demanded a supplemental agreement granting skilled workers wage increases, overtime adjustments, and seniority 
security and apprentice provisions. In Cleveland, strikers vowed to stop the scabbing and were mostly successful. Now, at the start of the morning shift, a scab attempted to plow through the picket lines at a high rate of speed. Strikers flooded the gates and brought the scab car to a virtual stop. As they attempted to convince him not to cross through, mounted police viciously charged and attacked the strikers. Police continued to shoot tear gas guns from behind plant gates. Soon, there were more than 5,000 picketers fighting with police as workers poured out from half a dozen nearby plants to support the strikers. For over two hours, workers showered strike-breaking forces with bricks, rocks, and paving blocks. They overturned scab cars and drove the police off the street and into the plant. Fighting broke out again in the afternoon when police tried to bring in more tear gas supplies. Strike leaders directed activities from an amplifier on the roof of a nearby restaurant. The next day, famed Prohibition Crusader Elliot Ness, now Cleveland's Director of Public Safety, enforced a 500-yard riot zone banning all gatherings near the gates and limited picketers to seven at each gate. Strikers began picketing the homes of known scabs and would ratify a new contract just days later. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. century what did we know brother of a brother friend of friend okay that was your rick smith labor in two what i want to jump to now is a, a poem by a russian poet worlds are not regenerated and every time Again and again, I make my lament against destruction. I seem to be then a young boy in Biello stock, blood run. Dainty a Jew, but in um, nineteen sixty six, uh, December ninth, nineteen sixty six, the Russian poet Evgeny Yevtushenko came to the University of California in Berkeley and read some of his poems. One of the poems was called Babi Yar, and it's uh, about anti-Semitism and the horrible destruction that such prejudice visits on its victims. So let's see if I can find it here. Babi Yar. No monument stands over Babi Yar, a drop sheer as a crude gravestone. I am afraid. Today, I am as old in years as all the Jewish people. Now, I seem to be a Jew. Here, I plod through ancient Egypt. Here, I perish, crucified on the cross, 
and to this day I bear the scars of nails. I seem to be Dreyfus. The Philistine is both informer and judge. I am behind bars, beset on every side, hounded, spat on, slandered, squealing. Dainty ladies in flounced Brussels lace stick their parasols into my face. I seem to be then a young boy in Biello stock. Blood runs, spilling over the floors. The barroom rabble rousers give off a stench of vodka and onion. A boot kicks me aside, helpless. In vain, I plead with these pogrom bullies while they jeer and shout, beat the yids, save Russia. Some grain marketeer beats up my mother. Oh, my Russian people, I know you are international to the core, but those with unclean hands have often made a jingle of your purest name. I know the goodness of my land. How vile these anti-Semites. Without a qualm, they pompously call themselves the union of the Russian people. I seem to be Anne Frank, transparent as a branch in April. And I love and have no need of phrases. My need is that we gaze into each other. How little we can see or smell. We can't have the leaves. We can't have the sky. Yet we can do so much. Tenderly embrace each other in a dark room. They're coming here. Be not afraid. Those are the booming sounds of spring. Spring is coming here. Come then to me, quick. Give me your lips. Are they smashing down the door? No. It's the ice breaking. The wild grasses rustle over Babiya. The trees look ominous like judges. Here all things scream silently and bearing my head slowly I feel myself turning grey. And I myself am one massive, soundless scream above the thousand, thousand buried here. I am each old man here shot dead. I am every child here shot dead. Nothing in me shall ever forget. The International, let it thunder when the last anti-Semite on earth is buried forever. In my blood, there is no. I seem to be then a young boy in Biello stock. Blood runs. Белостоке кровь льется, растекаясь пополам, песчинствуют вожди трактирной стойки и пахнут. Водкой с луком пополам Я сапогом отброшенный, бессилен Напрасно я погромщиков молю Под Гогат, пей, жидо, спасай Россию! Насилую.
That was uh, Yevgeny Yevkushenko there at the end. I played part of the Russian version of the poem so you could get the idea of the kind of rolling feel of the poem that gets louder and louder and louder in protest of anti-Semitism. Bobby Yar. Uh, I should have added that Bobby Yar was the site of uh, a slaughter in 1942 of 30,000 Jews and uh, Russian resistors to German rule. Of course, a lot of the Jews were turned in by their Russian uh, fellow citizens as at first the the German soldiers, the German armies were welcomed both as a relief from the tyranny of Stalin but also as a force for anti-Semitism. 30,000 people at Baba Yar. In his poem, he says, no monuments stand over Baba Yar. But I should point out that after Yevtushenko published this poem and, and read it all over the world, a monument was put uh, at Baba Yar. So... So there I was in 1966, a young student, and uh, Yevtushenko read. And at the time, he was such a bold voice. It seemed as if he was going against the Russian government that he was resisting. Uh, but I suspect that he just sort of kept it uh, gradual. He was, after all, a worldwide figure, and it would have been hard for him to be punished in some way, as they did to, for example, Anak Marva. Um, anyway, um, that was such a feeling at the time, 1966. And it seemed that Yevtushenko was speaking for all of us who wanted to change the world and make the world a place where people really had some power over their lives. And uh, we were going to do it. And it seemed as if it was really possible that as... Leon Trotsky said, the world would be cleansed of all injustice and we were going to do it. Great moment, Yevgeny Yevtushenko reciting Bobby Yar. Okay, so let's talk, let's get... Uh, I want to get news broke, and I want to play the one about how capitalism funds climate change. 
capitalism and stop climate change? In other words, can we have Amazon? Francesca Fiorentini. What about if the boxes doubled as levies? Please! I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and in this episode, we're looking at the failures of profit-driven climate change solutions and why the cooking of our planet is becoming a recipe for socialism. Once again, we've broken global temperature records, with July being the hottest month recorded since the invention of recording temperatures. Which, if you're a right-winger, sounds like very biased framing. The libs never want to talk about the Hadean age when the Earth was molten lava. Typical. It's so hot that Greenland is losing ice that wasn't supposed to melt until 2070. The Arctic is on fire, and I'm pretending I belong at random pool parties. Oh, who, who am I friends with? Oh, Derek. Or Michael. Matt. You're telling me there's no Matt here? So now seems like as good a time as every other moment prior till now to talk about climate change. The planet has already warmed by one degree Celsius since the time we started burning all these fossil fuels. And we're on track to warm by four degrees, possibly as soon as 2060. According to the most recent UN study, even two degrees of warming would mean millions more refugees, double the loss of food harvest, 10 centimeters of sea level rise, and an obliteration of all coral reefs. Which means we've got 12 years to have a shot at keeping the temperature to a still bad but manageably terrifying one and a half degrees Celsius of warming. So yeah, banning plastic straws ain't gonna cut it. Even though it's fun to watch so-called liberal paper straws trigger our president into doing this. His campaign started selling Trump-themed uh, plastic straws <laughs> so you could buy a pack of 10 for $15. $15 for 10 straws? That's $1.50 per straw. If that's how much Trump thinks straws cost, how much is his dealer charging him for Adderall? Yeah, that'll be uh, $700,000. Part of the reason we're at such a breaking point is thanks to years of shallow solutions. Solutions often devised by the same corporate interests that got us into this mess in the first place. One of those solutions is carbon cap and trade, which tries to get polluters to pollute less by limiting the amount of carbon any corporation can emit, but also by allowing them to purchase carbon limits from other companies who haven't used theirs up. Cap and trade has already been implemented in countries around the world and in a number of US states, but many say that it doesn't actually stop emissions. It just spreads them around and creates a speculative market for carbon. Like, imagine if you could buy and sell Weight Watchers points to keep eating pizza. Someone would be making money, but no one's losing weight. Plus, we'd see the rise of a frightening thin people mafia who control the whole racket. Just listen to one researcher who says cap and trade pushes us in the opposite direction of where we need to be going. We need to overcome our addiction to fossil fuels, and the problem with cap and trade is, it, is that it stands in the way of doing that in, in many ways. It's, it's, it's a way of providing pollution rights to some of the worst polluters so that they can delay the kind of structural change that's necessary. He's right. That's not how you fight an addiction. If you want to get your brother off heroin, you don't split up his stash between your mom and dad like, let's all just do a little bit of heroin to keep Brad from doing a lot of bit of heroin. At this point, cap-and-trade isn't even a relevant solution anymore because it's too slow to be viable. California, the second largest carbon polluter in the nation, but first in my heart, reduced its emissions by almost 9% in three years, which is not bad. But do the math. It's not nearly enough if we've got only 12 years to get to zero. Silicon Valley is still going to be underwater, and then we'll have to deal with a whole bunch of flotation device startups, and that just seems exhausting. 
So cap and trade won't get us there. What about innovation? We'll just ask the science nerds to come up with something. I mean, other than the ones telling us to stop burning fossil fuels. Innovation has been the aim of private companies also looking to get rich off the climate crisis. Floating ideas like geoengineering, which includes one plan to spray reflective aerosols into the stratosphere to block the sun. Yeah. Aerosol. If only our climate change denying president knew that this whole time the answer has been hairspray. Turns out though that that scheme, like many others, has too many unforeseen side effects to be feasible. Things like stopping rain and totally vindicating chemtrail conspiracists. Even if wacky inventions or cap and trade worked, they're still too slow. Meanwhile, the US continues to subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $649 billion a year. So not only are they making the planet uninhabitable, they're getting a goddamn discount. These faux solutions have come and gone, all while climate change has been getting worse. Which means now, we need to do far more in way less time. The longer we wait, the more that the response challenges our economic system because we need to cut so much and so deeply. What does she mean that the response will challenge our economic system? Well, that's because our economic system is currently based on using up all of Earth's natural resources with no regard for the actual Earth, all to turn a profit and create economic growth, or GDP. You remember GDP from our video on the economy, which you should totally watch. And while you're at it, subscribe. GDP is that phantom number that many agree is useless, but is actually incredibly harmful when it comes to climate change. Since when was GDP a sensible measure of human welfare? And yet everything that governments want to do is to try to boost GDP. Now, people like the OECD or the World Bank who say, oh, we're not asking for a lot of growth, just 3% a year. That means doubling in 24 years. Yeah, we're bursting through all the environmental boundaries and screwing the planet already, you want to double it? We have to overthrow this system which is eating the planet with perpetual growth. I love how blown this host's mind is. Rarely do you see the precise moment that someone gets woke. You mean it's not about plastic straws? Slowing down economic growth has actually been the only thing that has drastically stopped greenhouse gas emissions. The only thing in the last 40 years that has measurably reduced global greenhouse gas emissions is reductions in economic growth. When the Eastern Bloc collapsed in the early 90s, that led to global emissions reductions. He's right. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, greenhouse gas emissions dropped by about 40%. Apparently, people not eating meat because of the high prices had a lot to do with it. It was nothing but veggie borscht for them. And to think now it's way less painful to avoid eating meat with things like the Impossible Whopper, which I will try as soon as I stop being afraid of it. How does it bleed? The evidence is there that unless we're willing to rethink capitalism, we might have to rethink life itself. Because we can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. We've been obsessed with doing more to stop climate change, making even more money, when the answer is actually keeping fossil fuels in the ground. Doing less. Like Disney live-action reboots. Do less. Less extraction of oil, less production, fewer or no yachts for the DeVos family. Renewable energy, solar and wind can replace coal, gas and oil, but we still can't keep endlessly producing and consuming. Even a UN official back in 2015 said as much, and that got the attention of Fox News's Greg Gutfeld, who quoted her on his show. This is probably the most difficult task to intentionally transform the economic development model for the first time in human history. And predictably, that was met with red baiting. Well, she's wrong. It's see Mao and the 50 million dead, or Stalin 
Hell, look at Venezuela right now. It's a crap show without toilet paper. Yeah. Seriously, they don't have toilet paper in Venezuela. Oh, where we're going, Greg, you won't need toilet paper because the whole world will be one giant bidet. You can wash your face ass wherever you want. Beyond the red baiting, there's an honest question. If we slow down production, will there be jobs? Enter the Green New Deal, a plan introduced by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and that other guy. The Green New Deal is a blueprint for a 10-year mobilization to get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by taking major steps like moving to renewable energy and building public transportation, all with the labor of millions of newly created jobs. This is a call to reorganize and to make sure that we are fighting for a just economy, for a just society, a just environment, and a just future for the United States of America and the world. Mm, sorry, having an ASMR moment. And whenever there's a plan for massive public investment and putting people over profit, it scares the 1% and their mouthpieces a whole lot. They went looking for an issue that would justify a hostile takeover of the economy. Climate change seems scary, so they went with that. Oh my God. Tucker Carlson would rather human civilization die than live in a more equal country. Also, note what's going on just to his right. Yeah, those are updates on an abnormally large hurricane off the Gulf Coast. I love how there's an infiltrator at Fox fighting the machine from the inside, and it's the weather. It will be hard to rein in emissions and capitalism for that matter, but it is possible. We must try with your help, with your insistence, with your organizing, with your demands, with your voting, with your mobilizing a broader electorate than we have ever seen before in American history, we do not have to go down that path. It's too late to stop some climate chaos. We're living it. But are we going to die from the things we love, no matter how humiliating? Will we be the David Carradine of civilizations? Or are we going to get real about real solutions? There's time, but we can't do it by just pissing around at the margins of the problem. We've got to go straight to the heart of capitalism and overthrow it. In other words, wouldn't we rather be red than dead? Thanks so much for watching Newsbroke. Follow me at Franny Fio and follow AJ Plus and Newsbroke on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all the things. Do you guys think that the US has what it takes to transform to a new economic model? Could we, could we do it? Let me know in the comments below and we will see you next week. That is, uh, that was Francesca Fiorentini. Definitely a friend of this show, talking about climate change and how capitalism drives it. Okay, I wanted to play a song. <clears throat> I want to be high with you. Um, Fiorentini warns us, okay, Brittany Howard. And while we're getting more and more commercials, we, we have to realize we can't spend our way 
out of climate chaos.
I just want to stay high with you, Brittany Howard. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar, all over my clothes, under my hat, on the radio, in the laundromat, hanging in the air. Laying on the ground, walking up the stairs, bad news all around. No matter where I go, I can't get away from it. Don't you know I'm knee-deep in it? Who's gonna believe liars my ride, bad news in the morning, bad news at night, in my refrigerator, bad news on my sink, on my typewriter, bad news in my drink, bad news on the walls, all over the floor, down the hall, knocking at the door, bad news in the mail, follow me home. Bad news on my trail, bad news on my phone. No matter where I go, I can't seem to get away from you. Don't you know, don't you know, I'm knee deep in it. Who's gonna believe liars and lunatics? Hypocrites, gluttony and greed, and that ain't the worst. All the news you can read, all the news is fit. 
All right, that was uh, Lucinda Williams from her album Good Souls, Better Angels, and a classic what we call Whiskey Blues, the Bad News Blues. Right now we're going to turn to our uh, campus correspondent. This week we have uh, Vita Castaneda Morgan with her point of view on laws. The question is, what three laws would you pass if you had the power to change the laws? Morning, Vita. Good morning. Um, three laws I would pass if I had the power to change the law. One would be uh, free education. That would be important because right now in America, like, only I think a third or a fourth of Americans like end up finishing college and like getting wow. a bachelor or bachelor of science degree. Wow. I think, let's see. And um, like a lot of people can't even go like afford anything. And like recently I like at UC Davis, the UCs are voting. The regents are voting because um, they want to hike up the tuition again. And they keep hiking up tuition and saying it's going to help students, and it doesn't. And then when you look at the charts of, like, budget expenses, a lot of it is just on paying, like, you know, more prestigious professors higher salaries to come right. to give the university more recognition. And they keep, um, like, they keep bringing in out-of-state students and foreign students who have to pay much higher tuitions. And under the new, like, UC regents voting thing, if it passes, like, basically there would be four different tiers of tuition that students could be paying. So, like, like if you're richer or if you don't get financial aid, you have to pay a lot more. Or if you're, like, whatever. So And then, like, it would be much harder to get financial aid. And then the, like, demographic, the student population would be saturated with a lot of rich people who aren't even from california right um exactly so like it's just like continuing to create the class like gap the gap between you know because there's so many like working class americans who you know do everything to send their children to college so like they can have a bright future and now that opportunity even is being taken away from them pretty much because the way it's going it really will you know, like someone like me might have not been able to get into UC Davis nowadays the way it's going. And it's much more expensive. The financial aid is like so hard to get now if you aren't like grandfathered in like someone like me who got it a while ago and I got full tuition paid because I had good grades. So it's like really just it's pretty crazy, honestly. So that's one thing I would change. I would I would like it if there's free university education for anybody. I don't think it could hurt anybody if we're all smarter. I think it hurts everybody that we're dumb. So, and we good all have point. all the guns, you know. So it would be good if we had, were smart and had the guns. Um, then the next law I would change is uh, like DACA, the law for undocumented people who are born here in the United States. I think that if people didn't cause any violent offenses if they're good upstanding citizens 
like what makes one person different than another of being an immigrant or coming just paperwork you know if you've already proven that you're a good citizen and you've been here all this time you've been doing your thing then even more reason they should let you in because you've already proven that you can do well here and you're doing well here so i i think you know america's losing an opportunity by not just like engaging those people and a lot of the time people are immigrants like they want to work harder than anybody else because they're trying to prove themselves and they left their whole life in another country so they're like i have to make this work you know so i i just feel like that's a missed opportunity um for america and then the other law i would change sorry i keep going on no no go go for it you're making good sense I had, and I was like, this is a good one. DACA, the school. Huh. There was another one I had. I can't remember it right now. I remember. I would say that one, yeah, I would say... Free and safe abortions on demand. Yeah, just like a federal Oh, okay. Right, and then she would have to use um, public money, public yeah. institutions to yeah. just barely eat, you know, or have a place to stay or anything. Okay, um... <laughs> okay, Vita. Very outspoken as usual. I think 
when somebody asked me this question, I, I had abortions and I had, uh, oh, the right to join a union. Everybody should have the right to join a union if they want. And the other one was, and I'm drawing a blank now too. But anyway, um, thank you so much for your uh, input. And uh, we're not going to talk to Yemen today, huh? No, he's out. He's out searching for houses. Oh, okay. Yeah, with his dad and brother. But he said to say sorry, and he wished he could have been. Somehow a phone conference then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, well, please uh, say hello to him, and I'll catch up with you guys this week. Okay, and, I'll uh, talk to you later. And thanks again for your insights. Love you, too. Bye, Vita. Okay, so that was uh, Vita Castaneda Morgan with her insights into the laws that she would pass. What laws would you pass? This is something we have to consider, just like we considered last week or two weeks ago. We considered what it would take for a company to lose your custom. You know, what, what would it take? What would, you, what would they have to do? Anyway, I had put aside some time to talk about a new farm worker law that's being proposed in Congress and uh, what I didn't like about it. We're going to play this song. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Forward. Another commercial here. Um, the new law provides a way for workers to, immigrant workers, to get citizenship, but it's pretty onerous. In any strike, it's the picket sign. We wrote a song about this. It's Spanish. We One of the most important weapons, instruments in any cause. In any movement, Luis Valdez. In any strike, is the picket sign. We wrote a song about this. It's in Spanish. We call it El Picket Sign. Desde Texas a California, campesinos están luchando. Desde Texas a California, campesinos están luchando. Los rancheros a llore y llore. De huelga ya están bien pandos. El picket sign, el picket sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el picket sign, el picket sign, conmigo toda la vida. Ya tenemos más del año peleando por esta huelga. Ya tenemos más del año peleando por esta huelga. Un ranchero ya murió y el otro ya sí su abuela, el picket sign, el picket sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. Un primo que tengo yo, andaba regando diches. Un primo que tengo yo, andaba regando diches. Un día con pagarulo y otro con sanababiches, el piquet sign, el piquet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piquet sign, el piquet sign, conmigo toda la vida. 
me dicen que soy muy necio, grito ni alborota pueblos. Me dicen que soy muy necio, grito ni alborota pueblos. Pero Juárez fue mi tío y Zapata fue mi suegro. El Piguet Sain, el Piguet Sain, lo llevo por todo el día. El Piguet Sain, el Piguet Sain, conmigo toda la vida. Y ahora ando organizando la raza en todos los files. Y ahora ando organizando la raza en todos los files. Y muchos siguen comiendo tortillas con puros chiles. El piguet sign, el piguet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día. El piguet sign, el piguet sign. Conmigo toda la vida. Hay muchos que no comprenden. Aunque uno les da consejos, hay muchos que no comprenden. Aunque uno les da consejos, la huelga es un bien para todos. Pero uno se hacen pendejos del piguet sign, el piguet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piguet sign, el piguet sign. Conmigo toda la vida, el piguet sign, el piguet sign. Lo llevo por todo el día, el piguet sign, el piguet sign, conmigo toda la vida. That was El Piquet Sign uh, with Luis Valdez, author of uh, Zoot Suit, as well as several other plays and songs. This is The Bee, and I'm signing off. We'll uh, see you next week. Remember, remember, you're only alone when you don't stand up. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who's not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. And look who just walked in. Yes. Scotto Walker, Mr. Flat Black Plastic. Please stay tuned. Please stay tuned for his show, which is coming right up. And remember, Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? 
Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Billy Bob. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Let's Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and watch the movie at the same time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Yeah, right. I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. Five p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, uh, let's watch full length. All right, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See you next time. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with a white interior. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in and on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday, noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I am a total. Can I see? Lori's starting to get.
Jesus. Your voice is absolutely right. I am petty, rebellious, and adolescent. And I will cut the Blake. Henry! Yeah, Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat Quality, value, style, service, As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And... Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, 
who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness, the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Just a cash cock here, giving you my loving regards as well as Luffy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and files and files of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Fantastic Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Fantastic Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For <laughs> it's ridiculous. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast and post show in the comfort of anywhere. Like you're asking summer cottage in the mountain range with a guy out. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcast. And look for Comedy Clubhouse with a cat. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. You laugh off your own cushion. You save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? You know it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> Watch if you 